0: Hello, hope you're OK and had a good weekend. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast on Monday, June the 20th. And first today, we're being urged not to travel by train as railway workers get ready for the biggest strike in a generation. Thousands of staff are walking out for three days this week in a row over pay, conditions and job losses. Southeastern say only 20% of trains will be running and most stations will be closed. Well, the strike days are Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday, but it's thought that it's Disruption will be felt throughout the whole week. Our business editor Chris Bridger joins me now. Chris, firstly, can you tell us in a bit more detail as to why these strikes
1: are happening? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, in a nutshell, this is overpaying conditions and fears of job cuts. The RMT union, which is representing the 40,000 workers going on strike, that's those who work for Network Rail, which handles the rail infrastructure, and 13 of the train operating companies, say they have seen a pay freeze for years and proposed changes to the way the railways are run could see sizable job cuts cuts these changes to the railway are a result of train firms wanting to restructure how they operate given the huge shake-up in the way we use the services since the pandemic which of course seen a big drop in the numbers using the rails it's challenging both for those in the industry and of course those of us who rely on it it's
0: also caused a bit of a political row too hasn't
1: it don't they always? The Conservative government, who historically, of course, have a rather strained relationship with the unions, is opposed to the action, saying that reform is necessary given the changes the industry has experienced over the last couple of years. Meanwhile, Labour, which historically is so closely aligned with the unions, has attempted to endear itself to all involved, Keir Starmer has supported the workers' rights to strike, but has not thrown his support behind the action publicly.
0: I guess most importantly, for people wanting to travel, will we be able to go anywhere in Kent this week?
1: Services in Kent are going to be hit really hard, I'm afraid, on the three days of strike action, and the majority of areas will have no available service at all. There will be limited services operating from Ashford, Dartford and Ebbsfleet, but there's a reduced timetable. Everywhere else is going to be shut – To give a sense of the scale, Southeastern says just 35 of the 180 stations it serves will be open and, worth noting, is that there will be no replacement bus services from those that are closed. And of course, while the strike action is three days, the knock-on effect is likely to cause disruption for the entire week. Southeastern is urging passengers not to travel at all tomorrow, Thursday or Saturday, warning of severe disruption before normal service hopefully resumes next Monday.
0: And are there contingency plans as lots of events are happening this weekend?
1: The only real option is to see if bus and coach companies are offering services. There is, of course, Rolling Stones concert in London and, of course, the Glastonbury Festival. But if you're planning on using the train, the best advice is, sadly, think again and to expect higher than normal traffic on the roads.
0: Chris, thanks ever so much. You can also read about the strike and the possible disruption by heading to the story at Kent Online. Meantime, the ambulance service that covers Kent is warning the strikes could cause more traffic on the roads this week. Lots of people will be working from home or travelling into the office by car. CCAM are reminding us to take extra care, allow extra time for journeys and stay hydrated, particularly if the weather remains hot. Don't forget, you can also follow our live travel blog for details on any travel disruption this week. That's on the website. You can also hear the latest travel news on our sister radio station, KMFM. Kent Online News. A teaching assistant from Gillingham who sexually assaulted a schoolgirl has avoided being sent to prison. Daniel Abraham admitted the offences which took place in Sittingbourne more than five years ago. The 35-year-old from Lawrence Street has been given a suspended sentence and banned from ever working with children. A clean-up's continuing following a huge fire at a holiday park in Medway. Six caravans caught alight at the All Hallows Haven site on Saturday night and three people were treated for the effects of breathing in smoke. Well, it's still not clear how the blaze started, but you can see pictures and video at Kent Online. Meantime, a football club's pavilion has been destroyed in a fire near Ashford. At Kent Online, you can also see pictures of the damage caused by the blaze at Y Juniors in the early hours of yesterday. Some nearby homes also lost power and police are investigating to work out how it started. Now, Alex from the Kent Top 40 on our sister radio station, KMFM, has been speaking about his recent autism and ADHD diagnosis. The 24-year-old says he was always hyperactive as a child, but did well at school. However, he found social situations in his teens increasingly difficult and also suffered with depression and anxiety. Well, Alex recently posted on socials about it and hopes that speaking out will raise awareness about the condition in adults. I've been chatting to him and started by asking what characteristics specifically made him think he could be autistic.
2: I really loved the idea of routine and I was quite obsessive in detail with a lot of things that might be the the autism side of things. I was also really, really bad at social cues. I'd always struggled socially. And when I was about 16, I started to have to make a conscious effort. I was like, "I'm, I'm really frustrated with my social life. I want to be more confident, meet new people. And I kind of adopted this fake it till you make it approach with confidence. But what I was also doing at the same time that I maybe in hindsight didn't realize at the time was I was kind of almost putting on a mask. I was essentially almost in a way teaching myself social behaviors that to most people are actually just instinctive things. So that was something that I did a long time ago. And I thought everyone kind of did that. Um, and then with ADHD, I've always been someone who's been really hyperactive. I've always been, had a really short attention span. Um, you know, I was really good in school at lots of things. But for example, if a teacher gave me some verbal instructions in maybe primary school and said, can you go to the classroom and, and uh, just get like, you know, three whiteboards from this other teacher, I would leave the door and have forgotten what they had asked me by the time I'd left the door. And I was always really frustrated with myself about these things. I was always kind of internalizing this as laziness or just being silly or, not being a good student or being a bad person in general. So when I started seeing information online about the symptoms that I'd experienced as maybe being ADHD or autism, something really clicked for me. And I thought, oh, wow, okay, maybe this is it. And I don't think necessarily that like, I need a diagnosis to be kind to myself and to let go of some of those um, those things that maybe I tell myself that maybe you're an idiot, you're lazy, et cetera. Because I think you know anyone who has that sort of self-judgment it it should do that it's it's free to do that Um, but for me it just answered a lot of questions and it taught me a lot more about myself that now I can go into the future armed with uh, a load more knowledge about how my own brain works and you know after 24 years of of not knowing that that is so welcome.
0: I was going to say how much of a difference has it made to have that diagnosis and to be told this is it does does it make it suddenly easier did it feel like a bit of a weight lifted off your shoulders
2: to be honest actually not necessarily because I think it, it, it was more of a slow realization for me over lockdown I started looking into it so it's been something that's been a slow process almost over a, over a year nearly and when I actually got the diagnosis through I was I wouldn't say I was certain, of course, because you never be certain until you were assessed by a professional. And I, I, you know, self-diagnosis is a really tricky one because it can provide closure to some people. But of course, you you really should get professional to to look at you to make sure that that's what it is and you're not misdiagnosing. But I think for me, it was it was something that it did give me a lot of closure at the same time, like, you know, things that I was was holding against myself in the past and saying, you know, you made a mistake here or um, you messed that up. You know, friendships that I've lost, things like that could all of a sudden I, I had a reason why, um, you know, I'd made a mistake or something I'd done that hadn't worked or I'd annoyed someone um, by essentially being hyperactive or, or something along those lines. And it, it was, it was just able to give me, I think a, a lot more peace. So I don't think when I got the diagnosis through, I, ha- I had that closure then, but I think over the process of learning more about these things and also just learning to accept those parts of myself a bit more, that really gave me the closure that, that I needed. And, and, you know, even since the diagnosis, I'm still finding out new things about ADHD and autism.
0: What's the sort of reaction been from your friends and family? I mean, were they surprised that you were wanting to go for a diagnosis in the first place? I
2: laughed instinctively because there were some really funny reactions, actually. I had, I mean, my parents had, and I think this is actually quite important to say is that, because it's how we, we frame these things, is that they had actually suspected a long time ago when I was a child that I might be autistic. But as it was classed at the time as a learning disability and I was always top of my class, they didn't feel that I would actually meet the criteria. Sorry, I don't mean that in like a, a big headed way, by the way, I was just, you know, okay in school. But um, I think because I was, it was okay academically, it wasn't really a priority. And I think maybe that says something about how we view these things. You know, we're looking at the academic side of children in a lot of cases, schools, teachers, I think about that the whole time but actually I was struggling for so so long you know I struggled with depression um in my teens a lot I struggled with a really really bad anxiety um I've always had sleeping problems which have been potentially tied to ADHD and because I was always doing well academically people were always okay with that they you know they didn't really see that I was actually struggling so much with so much else and I think it's it's really really important that um as, as more and more people get these adult diagnoses, that we maybe reevaluate how we look at things and uh, so that was that was that was one reaction my parents were sort of understanding and, and they were really really helpful through the process some of my friends hilariously actually uh are also autistic and one of them actually just said to me as soon as I said I was looking into our diagnosis. He just said, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you're definitely autistic. You you definitely have ADHD. I have both of them. You are literally, you know, it's why we get on so well. And and that's been quite funny because I found out that a lot of my friends are also neurodivergent in some way. They have autism. They have ADHD or, or OCD or, or something like that, um, and, and that's kind of why we maybe get on is because we maybe think in a slightly different way to other people. And this this whole thing I thought I was doing, where I was cultivating this sort of wacky friendship group who are happy to look outside the box and maybe don't believe in sort of ingrained social rules, was was actually a, a load of amazing autistic people that I, I was basically friends with, which was. a a wild realization to be honest um some people have been surprised I think you know I've spoken to some people who say oh well you know like how can you be autistic you're a radio presenter you're really social you've always had so many friends and I would just go back to what I was saying earlier about you know when I was 16 I really came out of my shell um and sort of had to almost mask up and become this different person in order to fit in and to be honest with you, that's something I still do on the radio. I'm not saying that's not authentically me, because that is definitely part of me. That's who I am as well. But it takes a lot of energy for me to put myself into those situations, you know, for me to sit on a call in an interview situation, for me to, to get on the radio. So you might see me being bubbly. You might see me being really positive and, and really expressive. Um, but then when I go home, I have to lie down for a few hours. I can't really um, maybe operate on that level functionally the same level that everyone else maybe can
0: how important do you think it is that you do speak out about this because I'm sure there are an awful lot of people who are in a similar position that you were a couple of years ago thinking I wonder and have perhaps not taken that step they've been a bit too frightened maybe I guess to to actually have a label put on something that perhaps they think others might judge a little bit.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I understand that. I think um, it was definitely, that was that was the main thing that was holding me back from, from speaking about it 100%, because I think there is still definitely some elements of judgment in society. But what I will say is that as soon as I posted that, I was just overwhelmed by positivity, support from people that I really looked up to within the radio industry, within media in general. And I also had, I think, five or six messages from people who, I didn't know who essentially were saying they were going through the same journey that I was a year or two ago and were reaching out to ask for advice or pointers and and things like that. And honestly, that alone made the whole thing so worthwhile because I know if I was in that position a year ago, two years ago, I would have loved to have had the same, you know, to have had someone I knew that was going through that experience. So I think by speaking about these things, it only leads to positivity. It leads to you know more acceptance. We it's more visible, um, but then also more role models for people to follow as well. So, yeah, I, I think you know a hundred percent. There there are issues with how autism and ADHD are both perceived in in very different ways as well. Um, but I also think that we are only solve those problems by speaking about them. I
0: think that's a really, really fascinating chat with Alex and a bit of an eye-opener about the condition. Well, the National Autistic Society say one in 100 people are on the autism spectrum and there are around 700,000 autistic people in the UK. You can share your thoughts on this one by getting in touch. It's news at thekmgroup.co.uk. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. This is one of our most read stories today. An Ashford taxi company is closing after more than 40 years after struggling to recruit drivers. Arrow Taxis is based at Cobbswood and has been taking fares since 1981. All bosses say the cost of fuel has also become unsustainable. The owners, who are Jenny Lucking and Karen Boyce, have released a statement. It's quite a lengthy one. You can read it in full at the website at kentonline.co.uk. But it says that after 41 years and much soul-searching, they've taken the decision to close on Sunday, July the 10th. They've said it's been made because it's become increasingly difficult in the last few years to find drivers that give customers the good service that they've always provided. The pandemic, they go on to say, has also made the situation worse because drivers have left the industry and not come back. And they say new entrants to the driving profession have also not come through the pipeline. On top of that, they say that over the last 12 months, months they've found costs have been increasing that's costs for fuel and also parts for the car. Some they reckon have increased by up to 200%. Well, Lots of you are reacting to it on our socials today and within the story itself. You can still let us know what you think. Sticking with transport news and a park and ride in Canterbury is going to close at the end of the month. The Sturry Road site will be closed from July the 1st for up to two years in order to save the council money. Covid cases across Kent have risen by more than 75% in a week. Scientists are worried there could be a summer surge because of two new sub-variants. The number of people in hospital with coronavirus in the county has also gone up from 60 to 81. Now this is one story from over the weekend. Asylum seekers who arrive in Kent after crossing the Channel in small boats could be electronically tagged under new Home Office plans. A 12-month pilot's begun after the European Court of Human Rights blocked a deportation flight to Rwanda last Tuesday. The home's Secretaries describe that decision as politically motivated. Well, the policy has been widely criticised, as I'm sure you've heard, but Ashford MP Damien Green believes it is the right thing to do.
3: It is absolutely right, I mean, right, both correct policy and also morally right, to try and stop people putting their lives at risk, coming across the channel in small boats it's even more dangerous than the way they, they used to do it trying to come across in the backs of lorries so uh, i i applaud the government for their uh, efforts in this i'm not surprised frankly that the first flight ran into legal difficulties there were always going to be uh, legal battles over the scheme and we're going through that now but i think you know frankly you know, I fear that more people will die. This isn't a, a theoretical idea. We have seen the desperate, sad sight of of f- a few dozen bodies washed up uh, on, on Kent beaches. I mean, that's appalling. Nobody can want to see that again. So, uh, you know, I, I hope that this policy uh, in the end, has the deterrent effect that it's supposed to have.
0: Damien was speaking there to our colleagues from KMTV. It's feared a main route between Canterbury and Herne Bay will face traffic problems in future as developers announce plans for another housing estate. Stonebond want to build more than 1,000 homes on a 14-acre site off Bullockstone Road. Campaigners say it needs to include a plan for public transport, walking and cycle routes to try and keep cars off the narrow route, which is about to undergo a £9 million revamp. Kent Online reports. A trans woman from Medway has bravely spoken out about the abuse she suffered and says people need to realise it's not acceptable. Kelsey Russell only transitioned just over three months ago but says she's been targeted while out in pubs and clubs. The 27-year-old would now like police to set up a dedicated LGBTQ plus department to deal with hate crimes. This is what she's had to say.
4: You get loads of people looking at us through the high streets, you know. You get the dirty looks, you get people, People saying to us that, you know, oh, that's a man, or, or, you know, that's disgusting, or they laugh at you. We get a lot of like, you know, people just basically like looking at us, giving us dirty looks. There's just so much. Like, it's just hard to pinpoint it sometimes because you get some people that come up to us and try and give us our number, try and give their, their numbers to us, and they try and sexualize us because of being trans, and I don't know what it is. And this is a subject that's not very talked much much about, and this is the reason why I think it's so important that we talk about this, that we are sexualized. A lot of guys think it's okay to touch us uh, or grab our hands, to put our hands on their um, private area. And, you know, and it's not okay. Um, we get a lot of people driving, pastels, bibbing. We get followed from nightclubs.
0: Well, police say that hate crimes are completely unacceptable and are taken very seriously. It's the final day to have a say on revised plans for a new tunnel linking Kent and Essex. The Lower Thames Crossing is designed to ease congestion at the current tunnel and bridge in Dartford and would go under the river from Gravesend to Tilbury. After a consultation last year, planners have added more open space, replaced a slip road and improved emergency access. Security is going to be improved at England's oldest school in Kent to stop tourists wandering onto the grounds. People visiting St Augustine's Abbey in Canterbury have recently climbed over a fence to get into the grounds of Kings Next Door, where well, now bosses have drawn up plans for a 2.4-metre high fence to safeguard pupil safety. A former m store in Margate could be turned into a college campus. EKC Group has put forward plans to transform the building on the High Street. They want to spend more than £6 million on creating a campus with a cafe and studio space called Margate Digital. It could be used by up to 300 students and staff. Staying on the coast and part of Ramsgate that's previously been blighted by crime is said to be becoming a destination for tourists with new cafes, shops and restaurants. Harbour Street is being transformed thanks to investment from existing businesses and government grants. Councillor Roshan Ara runs a restaurant there and is
5: also the town's mayor. There are people are coming into Ramsgate every day looking for a place, especially in the town centre, they would like to open some type of business, uh, and I'm feeling very, very positive that uh, you know Harbour Street and Ramsgate Town Centre is you know w- um, changing so fast that uh, we- it's beyond my belief. The international food chains are coming in. Uh, we have Indian restaurant, we have Chinese restaurant, we have um, uh, um, Jamaican, Italian. Burger, uh, burger shops, American burger shops, and kebab shops, fish and chips. You tell me, we have everything here for, for your night out to enjoy. Lots of people have moving moving into Ramsgate and, uh, you know, putting uh, money into the uh, area so the investors are looking for places every day they would like to invest money which is very good for us which is creating jobs for local community as well at the same time you know it's uh, improving our town center um, and uh, it will bring more jobs for the local young uh, young people and for the community which is uh, fabulous.
0: Another seaside story and a Scandi-style sea sauna could open in Kent if campaigners get enough cash. They're hoping to open the first-of-its-kind facility in a storage building at Folkestone Rowing Club but need £22,000. It will be big enough for 12 people at a time and open every day during the winter. Fundraising is going to continue, we're told, for another month. And Harry Styles is back at number one on the Kent Top 40 on our sister radio station KMFM. As it was as turn to the top spot, replacing Green Green Grass by George Ezra, which is now at number two. Calvin Harris and Dua Lipa's new song Potion is at three.
3: Kent Online Sports.
0: Cricket first and Kent have suffered another disappointing defeat in the T20 Blast. They were beaten by Middlesex at Lords yesterday afternoon. The Spitfires have only won two of their ten matches in the competition this season and a bottom of the South Group table. They welcome Gloucestershire to Canterbury tomorrow evening. Football, and if you miss this on Friday, Jack Tucker has left Gillingham and signed for MK Dons. The defender started his career at the Jills Academy and even though he was out of contract, the club will get compensation as he's under the age of 24. Apparently, Reading, Charlton and Bolton were also said to be interested in the player, who made more than 130 appearances for the Jills. Well, Jack did tweet over the weekend saying he's loved every minute of his time at the club. He also went on to thank his teammates and the fans. He says, it hurts me the way things finished last season, being unable to stay in League 1 But I fully believe with the staff and players still there, they can bounce back. We do, of course, keep our fingers crossed for that one. And finally, a Kent teenager has been selected to play volleyball for Team England. Maxime Carolyn only started playing a couple of years ago, but has been training hard ever since. The 14-year-old from Mepham got an email last year asking him to try out for the under-17s cadet squad.
6: I'd never really found a click with any other sport, so I was never really passionate. But with volleyball, um, I felt like I'd found the sport for me. A su- one summer ago, I was in France and I was training daily and I was training for um, a few hours a day. And whilst we were there, I got the invite to the Volleyball England Trials. Um, so we decided to accept and there were 120 people attending the trials and only 20 people were getting selected. So after that, when we got back to England, I attended the Volleyball England Trials and played as the to the best that I could and then a couple of weeks afterwards we got the email back saying that I'd got in and I was just overwhelmed and I felt relief that I'd got into the team. It was massive for me because um, I was never really the athletic or sporty kid at school so being able to play for England, a sport that I loved, really meant a lot to me because before that I'd been putting in the graft wanting to achieve high levels in the sport. So getting in was really a big thing for me, especially when I went to the trials going for experience. Not especially getting into the team.
0: He's hoping to eventually play for Team GB in the Paris Olympics in 2024. But That's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. To do it, you need to subscribe. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. And whilst you're on the site today, you can find out why Gemma Collins, Fred Siriex and Gary Lineker were in sandwich this weekend.